Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I sit down with Armin Najarian. Armin is the CMO of Outsteer. And I'll be honest, at first, I'd never heard of Outsteer, but when I dug in with Armin, I learned that it's a spin-off of a company called RSA. RSA is a company that I have definitely heard of, and it creates a real interesting discussion today of how do you build a brand when you've got a company that's so established. This organization that he's joined in the last year and a half has over 400 customers, 400 plus employees, over 100 million in ARR. This is a company that's established. It's got roots, it's got customers, it's got an understanding, but it's got a whole bunch of opportunity ahead. And that's why Armin shares the bold move to go and rebrand this company. Through that, we use a combination of looking at Armin's career, one that always has leveraged PR, to really think about how do you take a business to the next level. And the nice thing about Armin is he has taken businesses to all sorts of levels. In fact, I think he's the only person I've ever had on this podcast who sold a company both to Dunkin' Donuts as well as to a large tech conglomerate. Here's our chat where you'll learn all about that. Armin, thanks so much for finding time. I'm excited to chat about your very interesting career, different job titles, entrepreneurial path, but how did it all lead up to this opportunity at Outsteer? Well, thanks, Randy, for having me on your show. So the opportunity Outsteer was really, the door was opened by a former boss. So I was hired twice by the same person. Uh, this is my third consecutive CMO gig. So C- gig number one and gig number three were the same boss, which, uh, which was kind of nice. Gotcha. That would be the CEO, I assume. The CEO who recently retired. So he's no longer here, but uh, he hired me more than a year ago. And uh, so we got to work together again. And now I have a new boss. That's great. How, how common do you find that these days, this idea of comfort with the CEO or getting to know the CEO? Is that something for you that's, that's really important in just even the interview process? I think it's super important. And um you know, where you can choose your boss and follow a boss, um, or if a boss wants to pull you in, I would rate those opportunities very high in the scale. My second CMO job, I was hired by uh, a CEO who I worked really, really well with. And then a year into it, he took another role uh, and I ended up reporting into the founder who, you know, we ended up working well together, but it was a transition. And so to your point, you, know, you can't always pick your boss, but the relationship you form um, and really understanding what makes that boss tick is super important. That's interesting. No, it's it's, it's a really important point, and, and I think it probably extends even beyond just the CEO, but when you're at that C-level, you're working with that entire C-suite, senior leadership team, and you know, just moving one of those pieces out can change that dynamic so significantly. Yeah, it's like it's a symphony, and you know every person with a seat at the table, I has their voice and, you know, the role of the CEO in many ways is to, you know, make that symphony, you know, play a piece of music. And so understanding that as a CMO, you know, the role everyone plays and your interactions and relationships, 
um, can help you make better music. Amazing. Well, you know, that you're speaking, first of all, I love that analogy of a, of a symphony, but you're speaking as a business owner, as you, as you tell me this, and you have that in your DNA. You're at the beginning of your career. You had an entrepreneurial bug. Tell us a little bit about what that was and how it worked out. Granted, not in the tech space. Yeah, I think there were two like foundational realities with my career um, that have defined the type of CMO I am today. And we'll talk about that. One is um, my entrepreneurial background coming out of college. And the second was my foundation in the world of marketing in, in, in consumer marketing, brand management. On the entrepreneurial side, like coming out of college um, in the early 1990s, I my first job, even though I studied accounting of all things undergrad, I, I never served a day as an accountant. Um, and I literally, after graduating from undergrad, I started a business. It was a retail gourmet coffee shop and cafe in the greater Boston area and successfully operated that for three years. It was a profitable business. Who knew, you know, you can run a profitable business and, uh, we ended up retaining that business uh, even after I stepped away to go to business school. And then a few years later, ended up selling the business to Dunkin' Donuts. So we had an exit, which was kind of nice uh, for my first gig. But but the, the lessons I learned, it was, you know, it was a, a general management orientation, a hands-on operating style, but also really needed to think strategically. So that was a foundational ingredient. And then coming out of business school, really not knowing what marketing was, but thinking I had some sort of interest there, I got into the world of consumer marketing. So I went into classical consumer brand management. I did an internship with um, what is now the Dial Company, marketing one of their hair care products as a summer intern. And then coming out of business school, um, I took a brand management role with ConAgra Foods, working on the Wesson cooking oil and then the LaChoy Chunking ethnic food lines. So that was my foundation. Okay. Definitely understanding uh, different buyers, I guess, through that. What what else was some of the takeaways from that consumer side? Because I had that experience similarly in my early career. I'm I'm curious how it is informed the type of leader you are today. I th I think one of the big insights from a marketing perspective is that even in the world of B two B, like everyone's a consumer. Everyone has emotions. Everyone has dreams. Everyone has fears. And I learned that in the world of consumer marketing. And so ultimately, the one of the roles of the marketer is to understand your audience and develop that emotional connection with that audience. So that was a key learning from my consumer marketing base. The other insight, and, and not many people realize this, the role of a brand manager in classical CPG companies is you are the business owner. You own the P&L. The P&L doesn't sit in finance or it doesn't sit in product. It sits with brand management. The most common path to the CEO in a CPG firm is through brand management. And so it was a general management orientation, dealing with supply chain issues, dealing with manufacturing issues, product innovation, certainly marketing, promotion, trade marketing. So you, you really get that full GM experience and that has helped define the type of CMO that I am today. So one of the things you hit on there, which definitely has continued to be a trend in your career is the focus on product. and. Again, my myself, I worked in one of these consumer product good companies at the beginning of my career. I remember not only did you own the PL, as you said, you owned those products. You thought and obsessed over tweaking them in every single way. Almost almost more so that I find that in tech, it's kind of left to a product team and an engineering team 
the product manager, the brand manager had to own that. How much did that inform perhaps just the path you took with such a focus on product marketing before you became a CMO? Yeah, good point. Uh, so yeah, before I became a CMO, I'd say most of my roles were in what we would call product marketing or solution marketing or industry marketing and product being core to that, you know, to those orientations versus the more of the corporate marketing functions, which I touched upon later in my career. The belief that I had, my, I guess my bias was that in order to drive revenue, ultimately like one of the main jobs of a CMO is to help enable a path to shareholder value through a path to revenue and understanding the product at a deep level and how that product actually fits into the market that you're selling into or operating within or the ecosystem. It's just foundational. And so that's been my bias. So yes, product innovation is near and dear to me. The product life cycle, I've, I've helped bring new products to market. I've helped kill products and, and really understanding the role of product plays, especially in a portfolio when you're, you're in a multi-product company, like many of the CPG firms are, in fact, all of them are, um, are just lessons learned around how, how to be a better marketer and, and, and really understanding that life cycle and the role each product plays in the mix. Very interesting. So let's use that to bring it back to modern day without steer. And one of the interesting things that I saw, and you and I talked about it a little bit, is the extra title that you have. So not only are you the CMO, the chief marketing officer, you are also the chief identity officer. And maybe you can help people understand why that is. And, you know, my, my feeling is it's, it's got a big tie to product. So I use this chief identity officer title for, for two reasons. One is a strategic reason. I do have product responsibilities for one of our three products in the portfolio. The second reason I use the title is at a pragmatic level, it, it allows me to get in front of the press, um, not as a CMO, which has been very, very beneficial. Uh, but on the first reason, strategically, yes, I do have product ownership. In addition to my role as CMO, it's a product that's you know, in the portfolio that we have here at Outseer. It's a revenue generating business. It has a P&L. I sought this opportunity out. In fact, this is my second consecutive CMO role where I sought out having a piece of product ownership, primarily because it gives me a better appreciation of the business so that I can do a better job as being a CMO. And I sought it out. It, yes, it adds more um, hours to the day and you know, more responsibility, but I think it gives me a, a different type of an edge and a different type of orientation to allow me to do my you know, the other part of my job better. Well, it's, it's always such a value when your marketing leader can understand product and can speak on behalf of the products. And it's, it's interesting, as you said, this chief identity officer title is one that you've used more than one. So I'm, I'm curious, as that happened, was that something that you got guidance from your team or was that something that you realized you just weren't getting those opportunities in press as, as you referenced? Yeah, good question. So at my second CMO role, where I first had a product responsibility, um, the title of chief identity officer was something that me and my head of communications kind of came up with together. So we were solving for how do we get Armin in front of press in a more credible way? I did have that product responsibility. And so we kind of said, that we tried different configurations of titles to support that. And we kind of came up with or dreamt up this chief identity officer title, which does have a tie into the product, which makes it more authentic. And so like the product line that I oversee here, 
um, is focused on detecting and remediating issues of brand abuse or brand impersonation um, such that it causes con confusion with consumers and it you know it destroys the equity of the brand so the chief identity officer title you know does support that we're ultimately looking for issues of identity deception and impersonation so there is a tether to, to kind of actual product reality for the title it's really interesting i i think it's a clever play and and also one that that probably creates a model for your customers to consider in terms of having that expertise in-house. So maybe we'll hit on that on the flip side of this conversation. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with Armin here on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. I love Armin's play to embrace this secondary title of Chief Identity Officer. It's a way for him to be relevant and greeted with authority inside of his industry. And something I think many of us can consider in our go-to-market. At Uberflip, we are a content experience platform. So we've had marketers embrace the title of content experience manager. Even at one point, we had a director level of that title. It allows you to connect with your audience and show that we understand your pain, so much so that we embrace the titles that may exist in your organization to tackle the problems. It's a great strategy, even in my role these days as a chief evangelist, I talk a lot about the roles that one might need to tackle the problems that we can solve for. Consider this in your go-to-market and whether you have the right person to create that authority. Armin, maybe you can share for people the interesting structure that Outsteer has coming from a large organization as a somewhat of a spinoff. Yeah. So this is the main reason and the main issue that that attracted me to this role. So Outsteer is a spin-out of a heritage cybersecurity company called RSA Security, which um, you know many of your audience might be might be aware of. We are a private equity-owned business. This business was sold by Dell EMC 18 months ago to this private equity firm. But I was brought here to, to spin out what is now known as, as Outseer from RSA Security. So we are technically owned by RSA Security today, but with the express mandate to create a standalone business with a standalone brand, brand identity, um, that will one day find a new home. This is the private equity model. And uh, as a CMO, there was a lot of learning to kind of operate in a, in a PE kind of environment. I had always worked in either publicly traded companies or venture funded companies. So this PE model, which is becoming more and more common, uh, provides a lot of key learning. Yeah, it's very interesting and, and unique. Uh, there are PE opportunities where it's to 
still find that exit, but I think this is a unique one where it's a spinoff that's still in the works. And part of that leads me to some questions around building a brand out of nowhere for a company that's that's not tiny by any means. I mean, from what I understand, you guys are, are killing it over 400 employees or 400 customers, uh, you know, substantial revenue. I mean, we're talking over a hundred million in ARR here. How do you invent a brand with a company that already exists? Yeah. So this was a heavy debate. So I joined in January of 2021 and, and job number one was to put a stake in the ground and pick a date for when we were going to introduce this new brand to the marketplace. And so I, I, I gave us five months, which felt like a, a daunting challenge. Uh, and question number one was what tether, if any, do we retain to the heritage RSA security brand? Um, and you know, there's differing schools of thought. RSA security is a, an old brand that has a lot of history, but we wanted to show up as a modern brand and kind of the FinTech and payment sector. Um, so that was decision number one was to, for year one, maintain a tether of OutSeer as an RSA company. Uh, we've kind of just hit that inflection point where we're cutting the ties um, and we're now going on our own. But decision number two was what kind of company, you know, what kind of brand did we want to create? And we knew we wanted to at least pay homage to the heritage serving big banks while also showing up more like a modern fintech company um, with a new tech stack founded on data science. And so that went into this you know, brand positioning and really a lot of the values that define what Outseer is today. We, we landed on a really cool mission that we've just embraced, the, the workforce has embraced, and that is to liberate the world from transactional fraud. And so that very pithy way to describe kind of why we do what we do um, ha, has really been foundational in getting this brand off the ground, uh, making it understood among the workforce and even among external constituents. So I, I'd love to dig a little deeper on that because I, I think it's a bold move, as you said, and bold timeline. I mean, to do something like this in five months is is not easy for those who have not taken it on before. It's a big undertaking to come up with a brand, to build a site, to you know refine messaging, per, you know nail your personas, all these things coming to mind. But the part I want to come back to is you have two groups at a high level in my mind that you got to probably think about. You have as we said, 400 customers who were already very familiar with the RSA brand, and then you had the future. How did you segment your approach to educating them about the change that was coming and eventually came? The reality is we're still educating them. As we all know, you know in the world of advertising, it's reach and frequency. So we knew this going into it, that this was going to be a two-year educational motion Certainly a big bang on June 9th of 2021, which is when we kind of lifted the, you know, the covers off of this new brand. But lo and behold, even by the end of 2021, still many of our customers were unclear that OutSeer even existed despite our best efforts. So we knew it was going to be a, you know, multi-quarter journey to properly educate. And we knew that it was a multi-channel way to reach that audience and educate. And so we, you know, looked at this as an integrated campaign in and of itself, leveraging communications and heavy PR, brand advertising, which we just launched our first brand advertising campaign around the world just a couple of months ago, and then using our feet on the street, right? Our sellers, our customer success managers, our executive leadership team, our executive sponsors to reach that audience of not just customers, but also partners 
to articulate this transition that what is now Atsir has gone through and the why behind the what. Um, we're probably halfway through being successful of, of really educating our various constituents. Well, better to be halfway through being successful than halfway to failing. Uh, so congrats on, on the momentum. And yeah, I've been to the site. It looks fantastic. It it feels like a fresh brand and, and the messaging is, is super strong. Take us back though to the maybe merging the first part of our conversation around PR. You hit on the role of PR in relaunch, rebrand. Would you view that as a way to tell future customers, current customers, or were you hoping to try and use that to, to hit everyone at once? Well, first of all, I think communications and PR is the most underappreciated lever in any CMO's arsenal especially when you're rolling out a new thing, be it a new product, certainly a new corporate identity, a corporate brand. And so, yeah, PR weighed heavily into the mix. Good PR is ultimately founded on good content. Like you've got to have a, a good story or you know, good data-driven assets. So when I joined the business before we even rolled out Outseer in January of 2021, one of the investments I put in place immediately, which didn't wasn't ready for market until after we rolled out Outseer, was a quantitative market study. And I partnered with a major analyst firm in our space, knowing that that investment of time and capital would not just inform us, not only just inform us about strategic directions, but also provide me with content that I could use to help get that PR and comms engine kind of working at scale. And so, as you can imagine, like when that research report was ready for announcement in, in the fall of last year, it was a door opener for us to speak with like all the major press, business press publications, Forbes, Fortune, Wall Street Journal. It got us on stage at the major industry conferences. It opened up doors with customers that we were, as we were just starting our, our nurture stream. So. Good content serves as the as table stakes, as the foundation for good PR and media engagement. So you you hit on the connection between PR and content there. And I'm curious, aside from this report, which sounds like it, it really hit the right note, how did you go about auditing what content would survive the rebrand, the relaunch? Were you starting from scratch with this new brand or were you able to utilize some of the content that had lived in RSA for quite some time, I imagine? Yeah, good question. Like By and large, this was a clean slate, which made it very challenging. I, I walked into this business in January 2021. There wasn't even a marketing organization. Um, there was one person who was doing product marketing. So we had to pull, pull a team together and put a stake in the ground to launch the business and build all the assets. We also renamed all the products, reconstituted the portfolio. And as far as like the content that supports it, there was very little from the prior life, the prior manifestation of what is now Outseer that we could use. And so all the assets, the solution briefs, the data sheets, the blog, all of it is net new. And I think we had to do it that way because we wanted to project just a different orientation to the world, not as a cybersecurity company, but as a fintech payments authentication company. And that required an entirely different voice and an entirely different look and feel. So one last quick question before we take a break here. I'm curious as you 
determined the right assets that needed to come first. And you, you talked about this report being something you could hit the market with. But when you're starting from a clean slate, in one way it's exciting, but it's also overwhelming. You probably feel you need everything. How did you determine the most important assets so that you could hit the market with content that would live at every stage? Yeah, I think the litmus test was, is this going to help us build pipeline or not? Like that was the litmus test. And so the one brand asset, we had a really good Anthem video for the brand. Beyond that, it was solution briefs, data sheets, and then really ramping up the blog. And, and that latter half all is very attributable to pipeline and you know content consumed by prospects that we know are interested in what our products have to do for them. That's great. Really great insights. I mean, we're going to take one more break here. We'll be back. We'll merge some of these topics together with some rapid fire here on The Marketer's Journey. The idea of rebranding is bold. The other idea that's even maybe bolder is getting rid of all the content that you had that you realize is not applicable in the future. This is a hard move to make, but you heard Armin talk about how that was the clean slate that they needed. Now, not all of us are gonna go and completely rebrand our company, but every once in a while, I think it's important to take a look to say, does the content that we have continue to resonate with our audience? Perhaps we have to get rid of all of it. Perhaps it's just even looking at a segment that may have been created for a buyer that's no longer part of our buying committee. Evaluating our content and auditing our content on a regular basis is so important in how you connect with your audience. If you have content that's not gonna resonate, it's just getting in the way. So take a look and clean up that content every once in a while. All right, Armin, we have hit on your career journey, unique different titles, as well as we've hit on the buyer journey and the unique positioning that you were able to create of a brand spinning out. So I wanna pull some of those items together. And my first question for you here comes to the future CMO. The next CMO that's maybe on your team or rising the ranks, do you think they're coming through more of a specialty as you had with product marketing, or do you think it's more important just to be more of a marketing generalist these days? I strongly believe that the generalist model will prevail, and uh, I encourage people to seek out more GM-type responsibilities. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense also, given some of your background on that entrepreneurial side. Everything's coming together for me here. All right, my next one for you comes to content. And we hit briefly on content at the end of our, our last segment together. When someone markets to you, what is the content that gets you to click? What needs to be in there? What format is really rising to the top of your inbox? Yeah, so we have a sales development function. I'd say I receive a lot of those solicitations. About one in every 10 resonates with me. And, and the bottom line is if someone really understands who I am and tailors that message, I'll engage. And, and that's what I ask our teams to do as well. So you lined up my next question perfectly, which is all about personalization. And, and you just said there, it's it's got to resonate. What is it a, in the copy of an email or the content that's been assembled for you that needs to be personalized for it to feel that way? So to double click on the example I just gave, um, a very recent inbound solicitation, they had read my most recent blog, 
They had read an article that had just been published where I was featured. They looked at where I went to school and they tied all that together with their business value proposition. And it was very clever and it, and it got me to engage and actually engage in the discussion with someone on my team and that person. I love that. Well, listen, I'm sure that, you know, someone's going to listen to this podcast and you're going to get the most curated email ever. You know, the bar has now been set through this. My, my last question for you today, Armin, comes to finding balance. Uh, we talked about the role of as, as a CMO. How do you balance that with some of your personal commitments to yourself, to family, to friends, whatever it might be? Yeah, great question. So I, I have four children and, you know, a busy lifestyle. I've tried to prioritize first and foremost, foremost, my own health um, and just prioritizing fitness and just good sleep, like as a foundation so that I can be a better father, so that I can be a, you know, a more present, you know, friend to those in my life and be a better CMO. Um, so uh, I would say, time boxing commitments, knowing that it is a blended life and, and, you know, kind of accepting those two realities and two approaches has helped me to kind of balance it all. That's great. Uh, well, we'll finish on that word balance. I, I think you've outlined a great recipe for that. Uh, everything from, you know, your career and understanding the role of both being a marketing leader and a product owner. Uh, I think that that in itself shows balance and commitment to the organization you're with. Armin, I can't thank you enough. Uh, it's been so much fun to chat with you. If you stumbled into this episode as your first with the Marketer's Journey podcast, every CMO's path is unique. Yours is probably taking its own journey and hopefully one day you'll be on here to share it. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.